0: What up, gangsters? Let me lower my seat here just a little bit. There we go. Hi, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. It is uh, the 22nd of July. This is paint, and this is a beard hair. And uh, this is episode 82 of my live chat. Hi, everybody. As I mentioned, my name is Luke Thomas. I am from CBS Sports. I am from Showtime. And uh, I'm here to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about could be the Sanhagen Dillashaw fight this weekend it could be I don't know whatever's on your mind and uh, you know I always put up a community thread on the YouTube page here about 24 hours in advance you all fill it up and we go from there all right so appreciate you guys joining thumbs up on this video please hit subscribe we're trying to move the chains every time we do my video whether it's a live chat a regular episode or any other kind of upload so please help us if you haven't already we and of course for those who have we are forever in your debt Uh, yeah. Let's get this party started, shall we? All right. And we're back. Okay. Uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, Let me pull this, uh, old thangy up. The thread itself. How's everyone doing here on this Thursday? I'm okay. Um... I'm happy to be here. Your boy is... Um, my my back issues are better slash worse. You guys know I've had problems like leaning to the right and stuff. So here's the good news. The good news is um, that's gone. I can turn my head in any direction. So the muscle pain that was attached to the trap doesn't exist anymore. That's the good news. The bad news is uh, the, the the nerve... Issues are um, Still there And maybe even worse Before they were running up underneath the back of my arm Into my pinky finger and a little bit my ring finger Now it's the opposite Now it runs into these two uh, And so I can feel it If I squeeze my traps together I can feel it get numb And if I relax it It goes a little bit numb But here's the other part If I go too far over it feel I feel it again So I had to find this weird spot Where like, I got a good posture and not much else um i know you don't really care about this i'm just telling you what's going on so the good news is i'm not in any kind of physical pain uh and the other weird part is i had a similar issue i want to say 2014 ish with my shoulder from jujitsu i would close my shoulder just like that and it would automatically cause numbness in these two fingers or even at least this this one um, now it's the opposite. Now, I mean, a little bit of like this. The, the, the real trigger is when I go like that. That will, that usually, yeah, I can feel it right away. So, uh, so, <laughs> this is, this is 42. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing good though. I'm happy to be here and I appreciate everyone sticking around. Okay, let's turn this part off and let's get to your questions. Shall we? All right. First question Luke which scenario brings you more physical pain BC leaves MK to join the schmo In a new venture covering professional wrestling That would be painful Uh, Nothing against the schmo Just the whole pro wrestling thing Or in 20 years BC's son marries your daughter Intertwining House Thomas and House Campbell Yeah it's gotta be the latter Yeah Love BC Not trying to be his in-law Put it that way Someone asked me a question like this previously, I'll do my best with it. If you were in charge of the UFC for a day and could change five things about the UFC, what would you change and why? Um, you know, if I was in charge of UFC, I mean, here's the part about it, like, there are things I want to see changed about UFC that I don't really expect to come from ownership, and I don't really think it's really realistic, like, listen, man, UFC is a business. And to my knowledge, they do everything above board. They're a publicly traded company, essentially. At least their ownership is. And um, they have to answer to a lot of masters. The law being, you know, a, 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 and regulatory authorities being chief among them. So you can dislike some of their business practices, and you can say that they're out of whack, that they're, they're monopoly or monopsony, but I, I don't know that they're egregiously breaking the law in some kind of way. Why do I bring this up? Well, it's like the change that should happen with UFC... Should happen for. I mean, it'd be nice if it happened internally, but it's just not in any way realistic. It should happen externally, onto them. Um, so one is fighter pay, but I don't expect like if I was in charge, you know, you know, if you were looking at their balance sheets, would you want to change what they're doing? I mean, here's the reality about something that folks I think need to kind of wake up to. I was thinking about this: the relationship that like UFC has or had, I should say, to Strikeforce prior to purchasing, in terms of like. Any degree of rivalry. And UFC was well ahead of them. I mean, understand that it was not that close. But uh, whatever that relationship was, that's not the same one today as UFC has with Bellator, which is sort of like considered to be your number two. They're actually further apart. UFC has grown even more successful and larger uh, since that time. So... Um, I bring this all up to say, like, if you were looking at their balance sheets, what would you change? You know, probably not a lot if you worked for them. But, like, you're asking, like, five things I would like to see that were different. One is fighter pay, obviously. Uh, A union, which is not the UFC's doing, but that's what I would like to see. Probably more than the Ali Act, but, you know, there's a debate to be had about that. Uh, I'd like to see USADA chucked to the wayside and Vada brought in instead. I could live with that. Um, that's three. How about four and five? I would add a 165-pound weight class. That's four and five. Um, probably do a little bit more. I mean, they do a lot with Fight Pass, but they don't do a lot with like UFC-exclusive content. I might try to put more US UFC-exclusive content. Again, there may be contractual demands that prevent this, but... To the extent possible, put it back on Fight Pass a little bit. I like Fight Pass just a lot better than... ESPN Plus sucks. You know, in theory, it's a good service. You know, in theory, it's a good value for the customer. I mean, in general, it is a good value for the customer. But there's a lot of shit wrong with it that I don't... I really enjoyed watching fights much more on uh, Fight Pass than I uh, I do on ESPN Plus. So those are five things up top of my head that I would change. By chance, did you see or hear this week's tough episode? Y'all... Y'all know I didn't. (laughs) You know I didn't. Um, I suppose to no surprise, Dana took a somewhat of a jab to a fighter that decided to drop out of the competition because he had a grade 2 MCL tear before his fight, but the doctor still technically cleared him. That don't mean shit. They'll clear Weekend at Bernie's to go fight. Thought it was an interesting insight into how he reacts on many other fighters. That have injuries Well here's what I would say I mean there could be a lot of reasons Why he felt the way that he did He might have legit I mean you know To ascribe motive Can be a perilous thing To someone that you haven't had A conversation with about it But what I would say Is a couple of things If we could at least imagine A world where we could think Rationally through this One might be that he just thought That the guy could actually fight Like I've seen guys worse You know who have fought And even won You know you're not really Telling me that you have A bright future in the organization If that's the kind of thing That's going to make you um, Pull out of a fight However, medically reasonable that uh, assessment. The second thing I'd say, probably the more important one, is dude, like you got to understand the message here. Like you know, it goes back to season one. I remember season one vividly. Uh, do you want to be a fucking fighter, right? There, I mean, that was a little bit different about the guys won't making demands about their condition and stuff, but um, you know, you want to set if you're Dana and you're the promoter and you have this kind of. I mean, listen, the UFC successful for a lot of reasons um one of which is that i think that they have to take steps day to day week to week month to month year to year to kind of corral and you know cajole even the fighters a little bit they have to find ways to convince them pressure them incentivize them whatever you want to say to do certain things if a doctor clears a fighter to fight and you don't fight dana is going probably as the promoter, and maybe a lot of promoters would be this way, but certainly Dana is, he's going to set the tone with this. He wants everyone to know, either this guy, everyone watching, right? That's the whole idea. You're broadcasting your values. And his values in this particular case are, if you are healthy enough for a doctor to medically clear you, which, by the way, doesn't mean a whole lot necessarily, but for the purposes of this conversation, if you decline to fight even though you're medically cleared, uh, he's not going to look upon that favorably. So one, he kind of sends a message about what happens if you pull out under those contexts, and two, it may may make the next person who has a grade two MCL tear think twice before pulling out. I think that's what it's about. You have to listen. You, you, there are a lot of structural and institutional advantages that the UFC enjoys in the marketplace today, but part of that is maintained by pressuring fighters to act. Um, Sometimes against their own interests. And sometimes the fighters do it willingly. Someone was, I saw the other day, I think Jack Slack was circulating some video that at the time was a compilation of everyone's attitude in the UFC. Or not everyone, but like a bunch of fighters' attitudes in the UFC about the Reebok deal. I mean, the Reebok deal was bad for fighters, point blank. You know, there's no argument to the contrary. There's no argument to the contrary. It was bad for fighters, period. Um Couple of like people, like, oh, I don't have to I chase down fighter our sponsors anymore. We're talking people, at, you know, who are not at the mid or high end of the uh spectrum here. We're talking about people who are very much like entry level fighters in general. It was quite terrible for them, and even then, you saw some of them being like, you know, it wasn't quite what I was expecting, but I'm cool with it. It's like, dude, if you had a union, y'all wouldn't be saying any of this, shit. you know, but the but the pressure gets put on them to behave and accommodate the UFC's interests. And not theirs. That's what you're looking at there. Uh, Luke, have you noticed a shift in fan attitudes towards you since you started MK? I noticed it most on uh, MMA. He he wrote r slash MMA, which is I think the uh, MMA subreddit. A few years ago, your content was downvoted and commenters routinely asked, why do people like Luke Thomas? Yeah, my wife does that too. However, MK is now routinely upvoted, and you actually get routinely cast in a favorable light on the sub. Have you noticed this in fan attitudes towards you? Um, There might be something to be said for that. I mean, I think MK is a fruitful partnership for a lot of reasons, one of which is I hear a lot of people say, like, oh, I didn't know you had that side of you, like people watching me laugh hysterically or something else, you know? Um, You know, I try not to keep too much up with You know what people are saying on forums. Not that it's not that there's no value to it, or that I don't appreciate if there is a shift. It's not that I'm not grateful for it, but I try not to get mired in it too much for a lot of reasons. One, it can be really anecdotal. It doesn't give you a a clean survey of how most fans feel. It's just fans in that particular area or another. Um, Again, I told you about the Tito Ortiz phenomenon, where like you know he just gets fucking murdered online, and then at least when he was an active fighter. You show up and he gets the loudest pop of anybody, and you don't ever hear a peep of it. So it's like a real disconnect between what you see on forums and, or, you know, social media in that case, and then real life. And then, um, and the other part is that, like, I, you know, I might do work now that is a little bit more pleasing to people. I think that I know that I piss a lot of people off. Believe it or not, it's not necessarily intentional. I told you guys this before, if you're a long-time viewer, I, I know, I know this about myself. I know I make terrible, terrible first impressions. I'm actually working on it, I'm trying to be better about it, but, you know, probably not all that great. Um, my skill in life has always been not so much the first impression, in fact, that's usually I'm working out of a deficit, but that deficit, I'm usually able to work myself out of over time, and then through that process, I'm able to garner you know, stronger allegiances. People are like, well, you know what? He sucked ass at first, but now I feel better. And that's a common thing. My wife is, I said this before, my wife was the same way. She hated me when she first met me. And, you know, and now I win. But um, it's not that I'm not grateful. I'm not even saying it's not true. It could very well be true. But you got to understand, like, I don't mind. How do I say this exactly? I'm not looking to be the bad guy necessarily, but I'm definitely not looking for the prom king vote either man i'm not like i've said it before i do less of it this this these days because i'm a little bit fatigued with it but this is a community that does not want to reflect on its weaknesses or its failings it doesn't want to it is adamantly resistant to it whether it's the power players promoters commissions managers elite level fighters or uh you know and anyone else they don't want not necessarily things not to change they don't mind that but real reformation by reckoning with moral failings or you know any other kind of thing that's in need of service or examination—they don't want to do it. They don't ever want to do it. And I don't really—I don't—I've never really minded being the guy that likes to press the button to say we should talk more about this and that. You know, that's not going to make a lot of people happy. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So listen, if it's true that more people are coming around and and uh, are happier with the things that I do, I, I, I'm. I, I don't want to mince words. I'm fully, fully grateful. Fully grateful. I really appreciate it. I mean that sincerely, man. You can never take even one person saying a nice thing about you for granted. You cannot. You truly cannot. Um, So I I heartfelt thank you to everyone who maybe has given me a second look and and, and decided that they like it better this time than they did the first. Um, But at the same time, you know, this is going to be probably cyclical. There's probably going to be another year or two. You know where there's going to be, I'll I'll do something and people will have not so nice things to say about it. You still want to stay on your path and your vision and your and your commitment to whatever it is that you're on. And um, the chips fall where the chips fall. So I appreciate people saying nice things. I appreciate people who watch MK. Um, I don't mean to like intentionally piss people off all the time. But if you get mad at something I say, then you just get mad at something I say. I, I I can't say that I lose a lot of sleep over that. You've mentioned on a number of occasions that you really enjoy speaking with Faraz Zahabi. True. And every time you two, you two get together, you learn something new. True. Are you open to the idea of making a long-form podcast with Faraz? Uh, I'm definitely open to the idea of doing a long-form interview. I don't have the time for another podcast, unfortunately. But I would love to like go to Montreal and do like the Faraz Zahabi story or something. You know, Something I think that's not quite fully told and I'd like to better understand it and I think he's... Uh, I think he's great for the sport. I think he's a, uh, you know, I just think he's a great guy, and uh, obviously a hell of a fucking trainer, coach. You know, I don't, I don't want to take away the titles from him. Would you do an interview with about Usada with more plates, more dates? He has made so many videos regarding UFC doping. Someone MMA related needs to have a proper conversation with him about the subject. Yes, I've, I've, I've articulated interest in the past, but um, I've not followed through with it. I'm Believe it or not, I'm a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit bored with the with the doping topic. Um, Usada has made some changes again through public pressure and nothing else. Uh, you know, not letting the public know about everyone's failures, I think, was a good thing. Again, we had to we had to scream about it to get it. That was good. Um, obviously, they've made some changes to some of their uh, punitive actions and whatnot. Um, but I, I've sort of come to peace with the idea that, like. We are probably generations away from a more accurate and sane conversation around USADA. You know, I could go through and probably point out many of their failings. I think I, you know, and I and others have done so over the course of years. But um, it's just all bullshit. It's just not, it's just Kabuki. It's not Kabuki theater completely, but it's mostly Kabuki theater. You know, you got to understand something like, if you just take a sort of a step back and you have to ask, this is not some anti-USADA ramp, but more just something to sort of think about. Like, if you ask yourself why we have this idea where uh, drugs are bad for sport, right? Like, that's sort of the claim. It underlies that. Um, people are like, oh, you know, you can dope in other ways if you're just a regular old person and whatnot. But, like, uh, first of all, the, the, the dichotomy between the two isn't nearly as clear as they want to present it to be, number one. But let's put that aside for just a second. So like is it true that drugs are bad for sport well let's ask that what are some sports where uh, some measure of drug use is tolerated and these will predominantly follow under strength sports and i don't think that they have it all figured out either in, fa- in fact i don't think there is a way to figure it all out but i'll just say this the claims about what would happen if you would allow drug use in sports and how it would ruin it they're just totally wrong <laughs> They're like totally wrong. There's nothing to it whatsoever. Zero. Uh, Aside from the idea that like if two people who are adults and consent and can provide biomarkers of health want to use PEDs and I as an audience member don't mind that they're using, what is the argument for why that should be not allowed? There's not a very good one, number one. Uh, Number two If you have sports, we'll take ones like Strongman. And Strongman's very interesting, right? Because you got the super, super heavyweights. For World's Strongest Man that everyone pays attention to, but you've got natty competitions all the way down, you've got weight class competitions all the way down, Man, male, female, there's, if you live somewhere in the United States, probably other parts of the world too, but you're certainly in the United States, there's strongman competitions near where you live, and it's a bunch of amateurs for the most part, and, and, and certainly trying to do your best to segregate out the users from the non-users uh, is worthwhile, but ultimately that will fail too. There's no really good answer for it, but the idea that like, steroids would ruin it. If if anything, if anything, steroids have made strongman uh, significantly significantly better. It's significantly better as a sport by virtue of drugs. It's just a fact. They lift more, the 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 meets are more exciting, you get a, a recruit a certain kind of athlete, and then for folks who don't want to do that, they have all the options to not do that or at least in competitions that would um, Go through a measure it, they're, they're, the idea that like they would be calamitous for sports well we can look at sports that have done it uh it's just not true it's just flatly not true there are no pile of bodies from people using not any more than it would be for any other sport um there's no walking of the audience there's no message sent about why it's good to engage in poor health activities if anything, it actually gets more people to the gym. It actually gets more people interested in compound movements. It gets more people interested in the idea of strength as a goal to attain and train for and whatnot. And some will take you know PEDs along the way, and they can have federations where uh, or powerlifting too, where they can do those kinds of things. But what's kind of funny is you know what's interesting is you know it's um, it's absolutely not true that that I'm not going to call them clean because that's just a war on drugs kind of terminology about the whole thing but in sports where there is testing and let's assume a modicum of um you know let's let's assume that like no one is really using for just the sake of argument those sports can be exciting dude you should look at some of the numbers for example in powerlifting from the tested federations you're getting great crazy highly interesting numbers it's fucking awesome to watch, and that's for people as high as 50, 60 years old, women, young kids, the whole nine yards. Like, the people are like, the, the, there's never been a better time if you want to participate in strength sports or even just to watch than right now. It's the fucking golden era, golden era times a thousand. When I was a kid, it was never this good. This is so much better now today. And drugs are rampant, rampant allowed in, in, in several of these sports and all it's done is elevate them and the idea that there's this pile of bodies or this calamitous uh, message being sent to kids or whatever the, none of it is true. None of it is true. It, we have test cases in the field and what did drugs do? It made them better. That's a, that's a bold thing to say. I realize that, but it's just the reality now, would every sport necessarily respond in the in the way that strength sports would? Probably not. These are going to be individual things. If there are enough actors within the space between the, the stakeholders and the athletes and the fans themselves, where well, they don't want that. Well, then they don't want that. I'm not trying to force drugs on them. Uh, what I'm here to say is the claims about what drugs would do to sports, from what we've seen where they're, they're allowed, it's complete horseshit. Complete horseshit nothing to it whatsoever. Not a drop of truth. So if you don't want to use, don't use, man. Like, I'm, I'm not against it. You guys have asked me about TRT. I'm certainly curious about it. I probably will at some point. But I'm, I'll be 42 in a few weeks. So 41, 42, I've never used. I've done everything GNC has. And I've been tempted, but I've never used it because it's never really interested me to, you know, I'd, it's another thing that I will have to manage that I don't really want to worry about. But like, there are people who are going to be real interested in that who are going to want to do that. And um, if they are into it, and I'm into it, and they know the risks, and I understand the risks, and they have biomarkers for health that are measured, I would love to hear the argument about why you shouldn't allow that. (laughs) I would love, I would love to hear it. I would, oh, it would ruin sports. Really? Because we got these sports over here, and all it's done is make them a ton better. It's just, it's, just, it's just all lies. It's propaganda starting from 1968 when they were testing for amphetamines and cycling. It started the same year that Richard Nixon started the war on drugs. It's just lies. It's just lies. So you, you can have these conversations about what the best kind of anti-doping is and what are ways to cheat the system and blah, blah, blah. But it really just comes down to the idea that do drugs ruin sports? Um, only if you scandalize them. Yeah, I guess they would. If you, by definition, make them bad then yeah, their existence is bad. But if you realize that there's a variety of ways in which sports can approach drugs, some not at all, some plenty, whatever, you begin to realize that it's not bad for sports at all. Uh, It's not for everybody, that's true. But it ruins sports? No, it doesn't. That's a complete lie. But the last thing I'll say about that is I just don't think people are ready to have that conversation just yet. I think there's a shitload of denial about drugs and sports. Drugs, I know this is going to sound crazy, not in every case, but I think in a lot of cases, drugs make sports better. <laughs> so you have consenting adults who know what they're talking about, you could have a regulatory mechanism, you don't even have to have that, but you could have a regulatory mechanism to monitor health and other biomarkers, uh, and I'm supposed to say I don't want that? Why, why would I not want that? I don't. I I watch sports where people openly use it. You know what? You know what? What lesson I've taken from that? It's fucking great. It's great. Love it. Got no problem with it. Love love the ones who don't too. Those are those are you know. Telling you, man, uh, you should look up some of the powerlifting numbers from like youth lifters who are in tested federations. Again, you never know if they're one hundred percent clean. It's 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 a phenomenal. Like there's plenty of room for people to enjoy all the different kinds of sports that you get. But this idea that prohibition is the answer because drugs and sports are bad. Really? Is alcohol bad in all cases? I mean, yeah, in many it is, and many it's really not. Um so, I just I'm 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 not really interested in like debating or you know, having a conversation so much about like USADA's weak points it's to me the whole frame around what relationship sports should have to drugs the conversation to me is totally phony is mired in 1980s Nancy Reagan say no to drugs uh, reefer madness that I you know I don't know how to convince someone that who's 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 living in under that kind of existential uh Awareness I don't, I don't know how to convince them that um, I, don't, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to say to that person I don't know what to say I just tend to think it's going to have to be generational And by the way Over time You're going to get genetic manipulation Where drugs may not even be the issue any longer And um, we're going to have this brave new world Of either CRISPR Or some uh, subsequent technology Where gene manipulation When it's better understood I think will be frequent and common and done in utero and everything and this kind of like Luddite sense that drugs are bad for sports. um, I think that will eventually go away, but until such a time in which it's just forced on people, they want to labor under the delusion that, that prohibition is the only answer. It's the only answer if you want it to be the only answer, it's not the only answer. How do you keep an open mind while conversing with someone or reading opinions that may conflict with your own worldview? How often do you find that you change your mind or learn something new when doing so? Really, its um, I, I don't know that I do it all that well. I certainly make an attempt at it. Um, how do you... Oh, Jesus. Hold on. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to let it go to a message. Um, couple of things. So, like, one, it may take repeated exposure. I think that's the first thing. It's rare that, like, the first time you hear something that challenges your worldview, that you begin to, um, that you begin to. Oh wow, it really shook my the core of my beliefs. I mean, in general, um it takes I, I think prolonged exposure to something, and even that is no guarantee. So the first thing I would say is, I try to get not just uh, you know an article here or an article there, I try to find pipelines where it's a steady feed. And what you find is the steady feed, like, let's take for example, I mean right now, um, let's, take, let's take early to mid-pandemic, right? And everyone was just killing Florida, including me early. Now the current numbers may say something a little bit different, but we're talking early to mid-pandemic. Florida was taking a beating and the numbers at the time they simply did not match reality. And then there was this whole whistleblower uh, lady who was saying that the, the state's numbers um, were not to be trusted, and, and the Gestapo was coming in and taking her computers. And then you come to find out, through the reporting of Charles W. Cook over at National Review, that you know, she was an inveterate liar uh, who simply could not be trusted. But he was beating the drum all along for that. So like I saw pockets of it and then it just kinda began to snowball. This is what I mean. It's less about book or article or story. It's more about like trying to find pipelines where you began to get just alternate streams of information. And a lot of it I don't agree with, but you know, that was one where it was like, Ugh, you know, I think a reckoning on this is probably due. Um How often do you find that you change your mind to learn something new when doing so? I don't know what the rate would be, but probably a little more commonly than you might imagine. Um, Yeah, I think that's what I would say. I think that's the one thing I would would offer there. I was looking up some old UFC promos the other day and came across one of my favorites. That was for Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva. If you've not seen it, it has Diaz walking back and forth while walls crumble around him. To reveal he's inside an octagon as the song Rat in a Cage plays. Yes, they also did Itsy Bitsy Spider with that, but like a like a goth version. Do you yourself have standout UFC promos that were memorable? I, know, I can I can name more Pride ones than I can UFC. If you've never seen the old uh, Pride Open Weight Grand Prix when they had all the sperm cells. Swimming on the poster. I mean, that is fucking epic. DC versus Jones two promo was fantastic. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of the? Hold on a second. I need to see something here. You guys, uh, let me let me give you a word of advice. If you are are, are thinking about traveling at some point, and you need to get uh, a. Passport, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. They COVID has fucked everything, including, but not limited to, the capacity of the United States government to issue passports in a timely manner. Oh, GW, yeah, okay. Um, and uh, I, I, was, I'm, I contacted my congressman to help me because I saw on forums that was a thing you should do. She uh, responded and said that she would try. So I'm hoping for a call. They're telling me that my passport's ready. I sent it in. Fucking six weeks ago, expedited because I'm leaving. I'm supposed to be leaving on uh, in August and uh, for vacation, and I still haven't gotten it back yet. So um, I'm a little bit concerned. And they are they 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 put out an advisory a few weeks ago. I had already sent my stuff in, but they put out an advisory a few weeks ago saying like you know, normally if you do expedited processing, it takes total two to four, maybe six weeks at most. Now it's like 12 to 18 for expedited. Forget, like, if you're just a regular donk, fucking forget it. So, I was wondering if that was a call from the passport agency, but I don't think that it is. All right, What'd you think of the 2010 2010 Predator movie? Usually I'm not on board with Adrian Brody acting like a tough guy. But I actually really liked that version. I thought that was great. And I think the movie was called Predators? Predators? can't remember exactly the name of it it was like a if you guys haven't seen it it there's the the basic plot is that a bunch of tough guys from all different walks of life whether you're like a cartel enforcer you work for the Yakuza you're like a crazy sociopath you're a fucking mercenary whoever they get they wake up and they're flying through the air dropped out of the middle of nowhere and then they land in this place and they don't recognize it and uh, they have to fight their way out and it's filled with predators I actually thought it was a. I actually thought they did a great job with it. I actually thought that that was like better than any of the other um, Predator sequels, uh, by far. Predator Two, I don't care what anybody says, that movie sucked, super sucked. Um, the most recent one, which was I think Shane Black had written, it was not good either. And he obviously was part of the original um, Predator. Uh, yeah, I actually think that that's like a very underrated movie. And If you've not seen it, I know I'm with you. I'm like Adrian Brody, the guy from The Pianist, like that fucking guy. Dude, he does a good job. He does a good job. And I'll, by the way, there's an MMA connection to it because one of the Chechen gunners that they send in there was uh, played by Oleg Taktarov. The great Oleg Taktarov. So uh, so yeah, check that out. If you've not seen it, it it's it's fun. It's a good movie. Luke, which Olympic combat sports are you looking forward to the most, if any, at all? Karate, I'll I'll probably take a look, but I don't really care all that much. Judo, obviously, and wrestling are going to be number ones, or co-1A, 1B. And then, uh, for sure, my number one, though, is not even those. It's going to be Olympic weightlifting. Dude, I'm t- I've been telling you guys about Lasha Telakhadze, the guy out of Georgia. I mean, let me explain something to you, Bamas. Everyone else at super heavyweight is fighting for silver. It ain't even, they're, they're not even close to this guy. Generational talent the first he's he basically at this point at least unofficially holds all the records and uh and holds some records officially but um for his comp- his uh, his his training lifts are all world world records i mean they don't really count because it's a training lift but you know they're documented on tape uh he's the first guy who could plausibly have a 500 kilo total which is like you know, that you can just snatch, basically, 600 pounds over your head is in one, in one essentially, continuous motion. I mean, it's just, it's unfathomable how fucking amazing he is. Luke, I recall in a previous live chat you briefly spoke about the Tao of Jeet Kune Do and stated that Bruce Lee isn't the father of MMA as others have claimed. I was hoping you could elaborate on that and give us your opinion on Bruce Lee's legacy when it comes to martial arts in general. Thanks and keep up the good work. Uh, I have read The Tao of Jeet Kune Do, I own it. Uh, I've read it several times. Listen, I, I would say a couple things. Like, What's Bruce Lee's legacy? One, I would say that his popularization in America of the martial arts and his uh, ability to get people to accept it at a time when they might not have been ready for that kind of entertainment um, was more than commendable, incredibly important. Um, playing a role, an Asian role model in the '70s is, you know, uh, and a leading man is is a, a feat in itself. Um, I think uh, people want to underplay that. It's pretty fucking big, actually. That's the first thing I would say. I think the second thing I would say is I do think he had some uniquely interesting ideas. He did have ideas about uh, openness to other forms of training. Uh, he did have ideas about, um, you know, if it works, go with it, kind of a thing. Um, which you might feel like set the groundwork for what MMA eventually became. And it's true that there is some like mindedness, but the reason why you can't call him that is it's not that it's it's not true that the ideas he laid out planted seeds within martial martial arts, which then grew uh, the game. In fact, uh, I don't think it had any real impact on that whatsoever. I mean, Jeet Jitsu uh, still tried to be a styleless style, and it still ended up being a bit of a style. It, styles are hard to get away from. It's hard to get away from compartmentalized skill sets. The truth about the growth of of MMA is uh, you could make a connection to what the Japanese were doing with shoot fighting even prior to the Gracies. But let's just sort of take what the Gracies did here in modern America. Um, or you know, jujitsu became very popular, and so everyone thought that was the style until you realized. Over time, here comes Maurice Smith, and he can fight wrestlers, and you know obviously wrestlers like Dan Severn and um, and uh, uh, Mark Coleman and and Don Fry and many others came along, and so they sort of set the bar for athleticism and what those could offer, and then and then Maurice Smith comes along and shows you that there's another way to look at it, and so there were these iterative moments through the course of uh, NHB is what it was called originally, you know initially through UFC. To what eventually became mma but like they did that all independently of any insights in the Tao of jeet kune do and in fact he doesn't exactly explicitly recommend certain things that actually would have been required along the way so like he did have insights in thinking through some of these problems about the narrowness of stylistic adherence i think that is true but when the in, in terms of tracing the events that led to where we are today is it true that the Tao of Jeet Kune Do is like our Bible? That that the work he did, uh, foundationally, led to the exercise, um, uh, exercises and events that culminated in where we are in twenty twenty one. No, it's, it's it's just flatly not true. I think you know the house of Bruce Lee is happy to make that claim because it makes Bruce relevant today in a way that he otherwise would not have been. And UFC's happy to do it Because then you get to have your relationship Tied to this iconic figure Um, But historically that would be a very inaccurate thing to say It's simply not true That he's like the father of MMA He is, I think, one of the first You know, progenitors Of a style That was much less narrow-minded For sure He for sure realized that having an open attitude About training was critically important Okay, that's that, that that is no small that is no small feat. Uh, but it did not lead to what we have and even then there are some meaningful differences with what he was prescribing. <laughs> Which promotion do you feel is the most fighter friendly? None of them. There are lots of things that promotions do. Um in service of the fighter. It's not to say that they're all anti-fighter. I don't mean in that way. But like, you know, what does it mean to be fighter-friendly? Uh, if you're a Bellator, you're giving nearly 50% of your revenue, but even that doesn't match a lot of the purses that UFC gives. Okay. Is that fighter-friendly? I guess it is, but in real-world terms, would you rather have the friendliness of a high-level UFC purse or Bellator purse? So there's that. Um, You know, PFL is very fighter friendly And accommodating But at the same time They got sued for Numerous delays To their schedule By virtue of COVID And everything else Are they the most fighter friendly Like Dude a promotion's going to have Not a completely different set But a a widely different set Of values And interests And goals Than fighters will In fact they're going to be In many ways At odds with one another So like when you're asking me Which one is the most Fighter friendly It's like I don't know you know, uh, um, which dangerous activity is the least dangerous? I mean, you could pick out a couple, but like they're still going to be what they are. So, I, I wouldn't really think of it that that way. I, I, and I don't want to take away from real steps that a promotion might do or take to make the lives of their fighters better. Those are real; they count. But at the end of the day, like the question is not which promotion is fighter friendly the question is which which day or year is it going to be when there's a union or some kind of collective action so that we don't even have to ask this question anymore it, it, it's just of asking for like which which you know which charity is the most giving well maybe instead of charity we should have an arranged set of policies so that we're not as reliant upon the largesse and generosity of folks, we can have a more coordinated plan to tackle our interests. Fan submission sub- suggestion. MK viewers, terrible tattoos attacked by Luke and defended by BC. I'll go out on a limb and say there are thousands of bad tats among us. No, I'm not trying to beat up too much on the, listen, I got bad tattoos too. You know what I mean? Like let he who's without sin cast the first, and I'm too embarrassed to show them, So I'm not going to, I'm going to get I'm going to get a couple of them covered up and just be done with it. But you know, I, I had to make mistakes along the way too. So, let's let's if, you know, if someone has a big ass tattoo and BC asks me, "All right, fine, I'll I'll do it." But, you know, I, I don't want to make it a mission necessarily as that a point of content. <laughs> Would you consider joining a podcast with uh, Chuck Mindenhall and Ariel like the old days of the MMA Beat? No. Um favorite Tony Ferguson the type of guy and I like I love Chuck but no i I don't think that those Ferguson those Ferguson type of guy jokes are like the new Chuck Norris jokes you know what I mean like oh when Chuck Norris sees the American flag, the American flag salutes him It's like okay, you're five years old. Alright, y'all keep asking me about Ariel. Listen, I wish him the best. I mean this sincerely. I I don't even it's not that I don't care. I am not focused at all on and I mean this I mean this so sincerely. If you guys didn't ask about it, I would never talk about it. He's got his own thing going on. He's doing super well. People love him. I'm I'm not concerned with any of that. I'm I've got my own thing going on. I'm very proud of what I have going on. I'm very excited about what I have going on. It makes zero sense for me to focus on anything else at this point in my career. I'm 41. I'm 42. I don't think I have all the time in the world. I lost a bunch of years, you know, and it is what it is. But right now, I've got a great thing, and it would be stupid of me to do anything other than just to focus on how we can make that as good as possible, and that's the end of it. Luke, were there any cultural differences that made it difficult for you and your wife at times throughout your relationship? Yeah, sure. Um, Sometimes, like, transliteration can be a problem. Like, in Colombia, if someone says something disagreeable, a lot of times the other person is not accusing them of lying, but they'll be like, mentiras. You know what I mean? Like, lies. But they're not saying that the person's actually lying. They're just saying that, like, that's not true. And so, (laughs) sometimes my wife would be like... You're lying, and I'm like, okay, I'm literally not lying. You can disagree with me, but I'm actually not in any way lying whatsoever. And I, it took me a while to realize. Like, it took me. I had to hear a lot of conversations in Spanish and how they would go back and forth, and then I began to hear how they would accuse each other of lying. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's why they say that. So that was that was a big one. Um, a lot of it has to deal with like verbal communication and talking i like to talk with my hands a lot like i do this you know kind of shit that's considered fucking rude there man like doing this number like you know it's considered super 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 rude um at least at least among my wife and her family and and there's been some other stuff related to that too like um and there's other stuff it's not so much cultural but like you know columbia's having some problems now with covid and um, you've seen all the protests that have happened there. But, like, let's go back a couple of years when that was really not the case. Columbia had made massive, massive... Dude, when I was, you know, in elementary school or middle school, Columbia was, like, that close to being a failed state, man. Like, it was fucking bad. Um, but, you know, through 2018, I think 2019 was the last time I was there. You know, it's a completely different universe. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to go uh, soon and see how, what it's like now. But... Um, the, the, the point being is um, When you get down there There's just tons of little differences About You know Things you can do Or say Or um, And also like The jokes about like Escobar and Coke and stuff They don't get sized for that at all Now I never did that But like people who I would be friends with Would like meet my wife And make jokes about it And I've said this to you guys before man If Let me explain something to you So anyone who is Let's say 40 and younger Right? And uh, older than that, too, but you know, let's say 50 and younger. How about that? No, not quite that. That's not quite true. Oh, sorry. What am I saying? Someone, let's say 35, 40 and older, right? My generation ish, and then above. Let me explain something to you, folks. Every one of them, every one of them has somebody they know, either directly related, wife, husband, child, father, mother, cousin, whatever who has died, maimed in some kind of thing, or been captured or kidnapped. Period. All of them. A friend of mine's, uh, uh, my wife's, one of my wife's very good friends, met his father, his leg is missing from the knee down because he kicked a bomb in a movie theater. Um, I know another guy, uh, we call him Hota, his uh, dad was kidnapped and had to escape the jungle. Um, you know uh my wife's father was murdered you know and you just go down the line all of them all of them have scarred and that was not because they were consuming the internationally sold product it was because um obviously there was a failure of the state to protect the people and um and whatnot but like you know they're very clear about like yeah do you know like any other place do you know colombians recreationally use drugs yeah of course but um, the way in which their society was scarred had nothing to do essentially with their internal consumption. It was all external, and, but they were the ones that had to bear the costs of it, and they paid a heavy, heavy, heavy toll. A heavy toll. I remember when there was a Winter Olympics, and uh, we were, my wife and I were at a bar, and uh, they were doing the opening ceremony. This is years and years and years ago. I don't remember which fucking Olympics it was at this point, but it was a Winter Olympics, and there was a Colombian delegation. Now, obviously not a very big one, you know, a handful of people, but there was a, I don't even, I, who knows what events they were doing, but there were some that had made it, and there were all this group of people next to us who were making jokes about how, you know, the Colombians must use Coke as ski slopes to get where they're going. And, like, I understand, like, you can't get offended at stuff like that because these people don't know any better, but it shows you how ubiquitous and, frankly, wrong-headed it is um, in the sense of the sort of the obviously the joke is is designed to be literally not true but what I mean to say is you know they got the the coke went to the world the punishment went to colombia um and they're they're understandably not especially fond of the idea that that's how they get remembered they understand it like they're not like you know like hey why are we remembered this way like they get it but like even now, when people go to do like Columbia tours, and they're like, "Hey, do you see these hippos in Medellin? You guys know the story." So when Pablo Escobar had this, had had this, he had this basically, this he was allowed to live in house arrest for a time, okay. And while he lived on house arrest, there was this giant complex, a sprawling complex, in I think the Antioquia Antioquia region called La Catedral, the the cathedral, and it was this this house he had, and from there they were drug dealing and everything else, but partying and. You know everything else, and in this place, he had, um, you know, wildlife brought in, and the whole night a soccer field, and like he had players show up to his house and play, and he brought in hippos, and they never got rid of them after he got smoked, and they just became an invasive species there to the point now where it's actually not so clear what to do about them. You could kill them all if you wanted, but that's not a very humane solution. But trying to capture one, it's not like capturing a street dog to neuter. It doesn't work that way. Um, so it's, and, and they're terrorizing uh, the local ecology and, uh, and environment and the Colombians are like we don't know what the fuck to do with this short of just f- killing them all which they really don't want to do um, but every time someone's like I went to Colombia did you hear about the cocaine hippos it's like that every time it's just that every time and I think what they're trying to do is just move into a place where you know, what do we get known for besides this how do we, how do we make an impression on folks that's absent this and I just think it's going to take a long time for that So, you know, having friends who don't beat my wife and go, Hey, you want to, huh, huh? You know, they don't. You would not get the kind of response that you think you might get. When are you and BC going to the shooting range? When BC comes to visit, I'll take them. Video games, don't care about that. Uh, Is the show going to return to the studio full-time at some point, or will it remain a split-screen home studio show forever? No. We've had conversations, there, we, it's complex because my job makes no sense, so I work, I work for CBS Sports but I barely know anyone at CBS Sports, I know a few people. I know my boss, I know uh, his boss, uh, I know BC, I know some producers on the CBS Sports HQ side but I don't really know anybody from CBS, hardly at all. Okay. I know a ton of people at Showtime. Ninety-five percent of my work is all Showtime, but I don't actually—I mean, I do work for Showtime because they're also Viacom, CBS. Showtime hires me. Showtime pays me. But you know, uh, I'm not a 100% Showtime employee, and so Showtime wants to send me to stuff. CBS Sports wants to send me to stuff, and then there's also this MK quotient. So I was like, how do you manage all that travel? It's kind of hard. So in Miami, we had conversations with Showtime and other folks, because um, Showtime is basically in charge of the podcast. CBS has obviously some say, but it's mostly a Showtime production. And we've had some conversations about getting back to the studio at least once, if not twice a month. So that's the plan. I think the plan is you know, definitely a consistent presence, but I don't know that... I, folks, I'm just not ready to get on the train every Monday at 4.30 in the morning. It's just not my... I don't, I don't want to do that. And I don't think they want to do that. And uh, I'm not going to do that. But we are going to be back in studio more regularly soon. I can say that, I think. So, um. So, although both are early in their UFC careers, who do you think has a better chance of being the welterweight champ? Shavkat Rachmanov or Kamzat Shumayev? Well, this is the point I've been making for a while. I think it's still too early to tell with Shumayev. He's got, what, two UFC fights? We haven't seen anything else. Granted, or two or three, whatever, three, because he he, uh, he flatlined Gerald Mearshart. Um He's obviously super talented, right? Super talented. I'm not ready to say one thing or the other, except I want to see more, because what we've seen were he beat up two guys who were badly overmatched, I think Mearshart is good, but the fight didn't last very long. Listen, this is the reality about the UFC. Eventually, somebody is going to test you. Eventually. Usually, it happens when they're contenders. Sometimes not. If you're like a John Jones, it doesn't really happen until you're a, a, a champion. Uh, maybe Chamayev will be that way too, but even then, he will get tested. I guess I'm just trying to say, the fights have been not as... as the results of the fight have not been as information-rich as I would like them to be. In the case of Rachmanov, you've gotten a lot more. He was really patient in his last fight against Przeresh, took his time, blah, 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 and you know put on just an absolute well-rounded clinic. I mean, he showed a lot of different skills there. Uh, and then the same with his, his UFC debut as well, plus he's undefeated and the whole nine yards. So to me, it's like you've just got still limited information both ways, but you've got, you've got much better information about Rachmanov's upside which I think is championship level, uh, than you do Chemayev. That's not to say Chemayev's not better. It's just to say, I don't know what piece of evidence you would base that on that's as valuable as the evidence you have for Rachmanov. The evidence is not as as complete. So, And that's not Chemayev's fault by any stretch. Uh, we just need more. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Look, as a relatively new fan of MMA, but a hardcore pro wrestling fan throughout my childhood, could you explain what made Brock Lesnar such a huge star in UFC? Um, there's a giant crossover in the audience between people who love MMA and love pro wrestling. I That was a lesson I had to learn the hard way. I did not realize that. I, I got. There's many tracks you can take to get to MMA. And people who are pro wrestling fans think that the only way, or at least the predominant way, maybe it is a predominant way, but they think it's like, the sort of designated way you get into it is that, like, you know, oh, it's really pro wrestling just with real fights, and there's certainly something to be said for that, but I came to it from the when the when completely the other way, which is directly through the martial arts, and so it was kind of hard for me to understand that other side of it at first. It may seem a little crazy now, but back at the time, I, you know, if you come from the martial arts track, being asked to accept a lot of things that are true about pro wrestling that are not at all true about martial arts, it's a little bit of a it's a wake up call or it's 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 not it's not automatic and uh so that was that um but in any case there's a giant overlap in the audience brock was a huge star at the time in pro wrestling and obviously he had the 2000 uh, senior year at the University of Minnesota where he won the NCAA title i remember that vividly i was in college at the time i was a sophomore and uh you know brock was a force of fucking nature then and then he went to WWE and it was a whole thing. And then he fought... The big the big wake-up call for me as an insider was when he fought Minsu Kim at the K-1 Hero Show in, at the Rose Bowl. And he looked good. And Minsu Kim was a silver medalist in the Olympics in judo. And I was like, ooh, okay. All right, that's interesting. Flawed fighter. He wasn't that great of a fighter. But, you know, you win a silver medal in the Olympics, like... You're probably pretty good, you know? Or better than the average person on the street. And Brock just fucking ran through him. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. So you had this, like... Um, speaking of promo, someone asked earlier if you guys ever seen the original promo of Brock Lesnar being introduced to UFC. They had Brock Lesnar like um, walk out to like a normal walkout for UFC, but like to the stage where he could stop and like look around, and then they cut the footage immediately of him to being in a similar kind of setup, but like in his pro wrestling setup. I think it was actually pro wrestling footage. And it was like, from the ring to the cage. They used to have the guy, remember like the deep voice guy who would do all the movie trailers? They had like that guy being like, could he go from the, you know, the ring to the cage or whatever? And like it would, it would be this change where you would clearly see him as a pro wrestler, camera change, and now he's an MMA fighter. And so you take any existing popularity that he had, then you have this like big you know, what CM Punk was trying, but he was just obviously a significantly better athlete, combat athlete or otherwise. And then he he wins against Su Kim, which didn't get a ton of attention, but what okay. And then he fights uh, Frank Mir, now Mir beats him. But he looked fucking good for the most part doing that. And um, I just remember like the, the, I, I've said it before. I went back and I checked my numbers that night on Bloody Elbow, and like I just couldn't believe how much there was. I you know it, it, it was a, it, it changed my, the course of my career. Brock Lesnar's participation in the UFC enabled me to go full time basically. A while ago, someone in the live chat asked you about fighters like McGregor and O'Malley, fighters who go from very bouncing and light on their feet to then very planted for heavy shots. The question asked about the toll that style has on the legs and the rest of the body. At the time, you said that along the lines of that's interesting but we'll have to wait and see. I'm curious what your your updated answer. I don't know that O'Malley is as bouncy as like bladed stance McGregor. I need to go back and double check that, number one. Number two, we still don't have enough information. I mean, injury susceptibility it, it varies widely person to person. Some people don't get injured in the way that others do, and they've measured this. Uh, with, For example, like ligament and tendon, I don't know what the word is, tensile strength almost? Like which ones are just more resistant to tears? And it turns out that like, you know, some people are smarter than others, some people are taller, um, some people are, you know, more dynamic as an explosive athlete, and some people just have better... Um, connective tissue in terms of injury resistance. And I've made this argument before, like Jordan Reed, who I think may be retiring or whatever he's doing. He was tight end for the Washington, at the time, the Washington Redskins, and, uh, dude, just a fucking dynamic athlete. 6'4", 240. I mean, he could move. Uh, He had vertical ability. He could juke defenders when he he had pass-catching ability. I mean, in terms of pure football play, you know, he was, to me, Injuries notwithstanding like okay put that aside just what his offensive ability was when he was healthy I think he was one of the very best tight ends in the whole league, but the problem is He just could not stay healthy. He just couldn't he got concussion issues. He had ligament issues. He had shoulder issues and it You know, he was just a tremendous Athlete, but I, it, it was one of those things where it's like dude Some of these guys can get hammered in the way that, I mean I would watch I would I would watch Jordan Reed take a hit And, you know, I'd be like, is this going to be the time that he doesn't get up? And more often than not, there'd be times where he'd be like, all right, he's out for the game. He's in concussion protocol. He'd be like, fucking hell. And then you'd watch some other, like, really good tight end. And they would get banged up, too. Don't misunderstand me. They were getting concussions and shoulder issues, too. But they were just way more durable. Like a Gronkowski, like, just more durable. He really, really really was. And he was taking monster shots, too. Um, Now, I can't say with any scientific certainty that Gronkowski is more injury-resistant. But rather, there is also accompanying research that shows... Some people just don't get injured the same way. Is that McGregor's case? I think the one that's more interesting to me is something I've been thinking about a lot. Let me show you guys something. So I've been trying something recently. Um, I don't know how it's going to go, but I've been trying to get into barefoot shoes. Now, not the Vibram Five Fingers because those are just goofy as shit. I'm not wearing those. But these. So these are the Vivo... What are these ones called? I'm not even sure. Uh, Vivo Fit is the one who makes them. Vivo is the brand. You can see the logo here. These are called barefoot shoes. Now, why are they called barefoot shoes? Do I have any other ones here? I don't think I do. But this is the idea. Look at the sole of this thing. Let me put it this way. So this is not an ordinary shoe. It's ordinary here, but it's not ordinary here. The idea is that it's got a much wider toe box on purpose. Uh, It's got zero drop. It's got a lot of things so it doesn't the heel is not raised Um, It's uh, the foot is wide because it turns out like all my life running was painful and I was never very good at it I I, I think I said in a room service diaries my fastest three miles ever in the Marine Corps was uh, 19 minutes, but I was never able to meet that ever again. That was a one-time deal. I got 22 once and then 24, you know, which is not great at all. 19 was pretty commendable for someone my size, but why do I bring all this up? Because it turns out that um, there's a lot of research that indicates that if you run in normal shoes, you strike heel first, and then the foot comes down. This is not natural. You're supposed to run on basically your body's built-in suspension system, which means you're supposed to strike here first and then kind of come down. And you have to build that up. If you've never done that before, it takes time. I remember the first time I ran barefoot, with on the forefoot um i couldn't walk for like three weeks it was so painful because my body was not used to it so now i have shoes these are my workout shoes I actually just got them today um these are the vivo again the vivo fit i forget what the name of them the the particular name of them your boy wears a size 15 um in any event or 14 actually um i got i actually got two pairs of 14 and a 15 i'm actually going to sell the 15 but um to anybody who wants it. what do I bring all this up? When well, you look at someone like Dominic Cruz, I don't know what his background is at all. So I'm very much speaking out of turn. But one thing I can say is I think a lot of foot, ankle, knee, uh, hip issues either related to running or use of shoes. Or even just not using your feet in the way in which your body evolved for them to be used causes tons of problems. I can't run heel first, I can't do it. I can run that way, but it causes tremendous shin splints. I've had, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I know what Connor's going through. I don't, but I have had stress fractures in both my shins. Um, It's fucking painful, it's terrible, it's not fun. And it turns out that there's a good, Case to be made that it comes from not running the appropriate way and in the appropriate kind of shoe, and that your feet need to spread and they need to grip and they need to, you know, there's, there's all kinds of muscles and everything in between. Then, you know, when a guy like Dominic Cruz is telling me he's having to Botox his feet, one, there's a question of to what extent does he have general foot health? I don't know, I'm not a doctor. Um, but two, you can make a case that even if he does have good foot health, there's an overuse factor there that his body was simply not ready for, and uh, it caused all those problems. So it seems to me, to answer your question about um, about bouncing and whatnot, I tend to think that bouncing is probably just fine if it's trained properly from uh, you know an earlyish age or you know whatever accommodated training has to happen through adulthood, um, because you do have a built-in suspension system landing here. But that takes a long, long, if you've never done it before, it takes a long, years, literally years, of just dedicated barefoot application in order for that to uh, materialize. So the question is, is bouncing good or bad for you? I tend to think it's probably fine for the right people. The question is, for the ones where it causes health problems, what's underlying that? Is it inherent inability to manage injury? is it from mechanical issues is it from you know what's it from so there you go all right uh we'll do a couple more <laughs> uh look have you seen or heard the florentino perez leaked audio tapes and if so would you think Basically the dude who's like the uh, Not the coach But like the business stuff The the GM more or less Of uh, Real Madrid If you guys don't know this You know which is a huge club It's if not the biggest One of the biggest Any sporting organization in the world And uh, there's a bunch of tapes of him Just shitting on everybody (laughs) Including like Ronaldo And calling him a fucking idiot And like it's been leaked slowly To the Spanish press And it's been a It's been a uh, It's been a shit show uh, who do you think will win a title first? Ilya Toporia, Armin Saryukian, Shavkat Rachmanov, or Kamzat Chamayev. Woo! Boy, you're talking about a murderous fucking row. Good lord. Um I'll say, I'll say Rachmanov or Toporia. Again, Chamayev might be the answer. I, I just need to see more. Luke, would you consider doing a new show segment where you highlight a blue-chip prospect? Yeah, sure. I'll think about that. You guys brought up mugs on MK and how awesome they are. Will they ever get released to the washed masses? I honestly don't fuck... We have fucked that up. We have fucked up our merch launch twice. I mean... Well... I mean, that's an overstatement. But we've not done it the way we should have done it. I'll put it that way. And uh, we have so many good ideas and so many things that I know you guys want. People have asking for rash guards. i will put that on the list and everything else. But um, the answer is probably yes. But we don't have any plans as it stands. So there you go. Um... All right, look, how do you think a Poirier versus Gaethje 2 plays out second time around? People forgetting about Gaethje with the time off. Yes, I do think it'd be a different fight. I, I wonder what would happen um, as he began to trade more. And would he land a big shot on Dustin and then cause problems? Would Dustin land on him? Would Dustin try to wrestle him in the way that Khabib did? And... I'll, I'll, I'll say this I would love to see Justin Get another win or two And I'd love to see them run it back Because there's no doubt in my mind Maybe Poirier wins again Maybe he doesn't But That would be a different fight From the first one And that first one was A tough fight A tough fight Okay Let's call it there Alright Let's do this Thumbs up on the video Subscribe Show tomorrow, 11 a.m., in the East, live. We'll do X's and O's around all the big fights this weekend. I might even do a live post-fight show after Saturday's main event, even though it's a fight night card. We'll see. Um, But we got a lot of stuff coming, yeah? Looking forward to uh, tomorrow's show. And until then, I appreciate you guys.